All right. Well, good evening, everybody. <laughs> I got nervous for a second. Nobody responded. Made me feel like I was up north again. Goodness. <laughs> Don't put me through that, folks. Uh, it's good to see you. I'm glad that you're out tonight. Thanks for uh, making the effort to be out. Again, I don't know what your normal habit is as far as um, coming back on Sunday night, but then I don't know what you normally have on Sunday night, but it looks like a great crew to me, and I'm glad that you're here, um, specifically because of what we're about to do, and that is to look together at the scriptures and see what it is that God has for us to learn so that we can be what God would have us to be and have the effect that he has for us to have where he has placed us. We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 2. 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 2. And in just a minute, we'll look together at, uh, well, we'll start off in one verse and then kind of take a gander around the verse in order to learn what we need to. 1 Peter, chapter 2. While you're finding your place, um, let me just say that I hope you had a good afternoon and uh, had something to eat and uh, maybe even a little bit of a nap. How, how many of you did take a uh, nap or rested this afternoon? Any of you? All right, good, good. These are the people who can smile tonight. Other people took a nap. I, I'm sure I've told you this before, but I oftentimes jokingly refer to, you know, the Bible talks about those who have trusted Christ as saints. And the word saint stands for Sunday afternoon is nap time. If you want to be a true saint on Sunday evening, then a nap is necessary in the afternoon or at least a little bit of rest. And if you did not take a nap this afternoon, now would not be the appropriate time to start that. So, Brother Tim, if not now, when? Next Sunday morning should be fine. I don't think that'll be a problem at all, but not, but not right now, if you please. Uh, hey, I almost—I meant to say something this morning and uh, forgot, and I, you guys probably get tired of hearing it from anybody that comes through, but this sure is a pretty area. We got in on Friday night and uh, Friday afternoon, rather, and Friday night and then again last night, I stepped outside for some reason just, just at twilight, just when the sun was finished going down and looked around, and this is like, this is like postcard, uh, picturesque. I mean, it is just really gorgeous, really, really beautiful, and uh, man, what a gift from God to be able to, to get out and see. Last night, I, told, I got my boys, the two olders, and I said, hey, guys, they were ready for bed, and so they were in their shorts. I said, put on, put on a sweatshirt and come outside with me real quickly, so that we got outside, and I want, just wanted to see the stars, because here you can see the stars a lot better than in, in other parts of the country, and so we got it, and we were looking at the stars, and I was explaining, and they were shivering. I was like, you guys, suck it up and stand still and look at the stars. It's beautiful. <laughs> And they were ready to go in. I was like, we're going to sing a song first. But, Dad, we're freezing. I don't care. Sing anyway. And uh, so they're going to love beauty, whether they know it or not. They're going to love beauty. But it really is. It, it's very pretty. I hope, you don't, I hope you don't grow tired of it. I hope you continue to remember where that beauty comes from. Just a reminder constantly of the graciousness and the faithfulness and the greatness um, of, our, of our God. It really is, it really is a, great, um, a great deal. And then uh, let me say to those who are watching via online, who are live streaming, I'm glad you're able to tune in. It's good to be able to have the ability. For what it's worth, and this is just me saying this, I think it's true, if it is possible for you to come in person, I would encourage you to do it. 
Um, I, I preached a lot over the last year to a camera, and preaching to a camera is no fun, I can tell you that. Um, it, it's difficult, you know, um, I tell a joke or say something that, that invites response, and the camera says nothing at all, and so um, from the preacher's perspective, it's a little more difficult, but I've also sat on the other side of the lens because our home church, when we were home, also had some time where we weren't meeting together, and so I watched, and I will tell you, it was everything I could do to make myself just sit down and listen and not go, oh, well, while I'm doing, while I'm watching, I could also be, I could also do, and it's just not nearly as effective. And then you just have the fact that God created us to interact with people. He, he built us to fellowship, to, to be together. And so really, honestly, there may be, there may be, physical reasons why you can't, and I'm not suggesting that you do, but if you're watching online and you are able, physically you're fine um, and you're able to, I would encourage you to come out, enjoy the singing, be a part of the congregational singing and the fellowshipping as much as um, we're able to, and then um, just just being together really does mean a lot. So if you can't, obviously this is this is a good, better, best thing. This It's better for you to watch than to not watch at all, but the best is to be able to be in person, so I would encourage you to do that if you can, all right? Was that said in a nice, kind way? I mean, it wasn't like overbearing or anything like that? Okay, good, because I'm about to, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, okay, I think that's everything that I need to say at the beginning. Now, let's get to the reason why we've gathered together, and that's First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look um, together at verse number 24. If you're physically able, would you mind standing, please, to show your public respect for the scriptures? And I will read this verse out loud, and then I may have you read it along with me, but I'll read it out loud first. The Bible says this, 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, let me give the reference, and then you just jump in in cadence with me. And obviously, we can't pause like I would when I'm reading it myself, but we'll just read through the verse. You ready? 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Father, help us now, please, as we look at this passage to learn what we need to learn from it. I pray that your hand would be on this service tonight, that you'd help me to say things that would bring honor and glory to you, Lord Jesus, and Father, to you as well, obviously. I pray that all things done and said over the next little bit, especially, would be pleasing to you. If there are things that I have, um, I have intention to say, but it would not be beneficial, or maybe um, there's something that I think that isn't right, then I pray that you'd strike it from my mind or let it just drop as it's said. But if there are things that you would like for me to say, Father, or that need to be said to this group that, that are, that's specific, that I wouldn't know, and you want me to say something, then put it in my mind, help me to know it's from you, and give me the courage, please, to say it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things of you, my Father. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever thought about this, 
but uh, context and focus are connected. Context and focus. Here, here's what I mean. Um, how much you know about something helps you to understand uh, what is actually being done or said. Now, I'm being about as clear as mud. Let me see if I can illustrate in such a way that'll help, that'll help things make sense here, and you'll understand why we're saying this and taking a moment with this in just a moment. And the story won't go on and on, Pastor. I promise. It'll, it'll be a short one. Okay. <laughs> we have at our house a series of DVDs called Planet Earth. It was put out by someone called, it's called, it's called BBC. I think it's British Broadcasting and um, it's not, it's not Christian-based, but basically this, this company went around the world and took some incredible video and did some pretty significant narration regarding different uh, natural phenomenon that we see here on this earth. Some about animals, some about um, places, some about mountains or valleys or waterfalls or holes in the earth or oceans and sea creatures or animals that fly in the air, different birds and different things. And it really is, the video and the videography on it is incredible. Now, I will tell you that they do talk about millions and millions of years, and if they say that, then we just laugh at them because we believe that God created the world and He did it 6,000 years ago and that He did it in six days, and we're convinced of that. But the videography of, of what these people put out was re is really, really incredible. One of my favorite scenes um, starts by the camera focused in from above, so obviously from a helicopter. Um, or some kind of aircraft down on a bird as it flies around. And it's a white bird. And while it shows this one single bird flying around, you can see in the background that there may be some other birds. But the narrator just begins to explain about the bird and the way it's built and what it eats and the fact that it travels from one place to another and how the migration works. And as the narration continues, the focus zooms out from that one bird and you realize as the focus continues and continues and continues to zoom that it's not just one bird, but it's literally hundreds of thousands of birds that are all a part of this mass migration. And because of the focus zooming out, because of the context, because of the focus, all of a sudden you go, oh, oh, oh. This whole narration and what we're learning about this bird is not just about this bird, but it's actually about an entire flock of birds and your understanding of what they're talking about and what the narrator is explaining um, comes into view. It, it sharpens because you understand how, how much of a context there is going on. Um, think of it, maybe, maybe this will help you better. Um, think if there was a movie going on, you're watching a movie, and the movie begins by two men in battle, sword to sword, fighting. And as they're fighting, you can tell just by looking at them which one is the good guy, which one is the bad guy. The bad guy looks mean and nasty, and the good guy looks 
good. I mean, he just you can tell just, just by the look on his face. I'm not that he's smiling. We're not talking about Roy Rogers here, like back in the day of smiling while he shot somebody. But we're talking about um, a guy who, who had, you know, just his demeanor, you can tell. And maybe, maybe even um, you can tell because of an armband that one is an American and one is uh, from, from uh, the, the time of Hitler and uh, has a swastika on his arm or something. And they're fighting and they're battled sword to sword, sword to sword, sword to sword. And while you're watching this unfold, all you see is these two guys, and you immediately start to cheer for the guy from your nation, the guy who's a good guy, and you think, oh, this is an important battle for him to win or important fight. And then the camera begins to zoom out and zoom out and zoom out, and you realize that it's not just one man in a fight, but there are hundreds and even thousands of men all at the same time fighting. And the camera continues to zoom, and you realize that it's not just one battle going on, but there are different battles going on. And as the zoom continues to come out, you realize it's not just one nation at war, but there are nations at war. So that how much focus you have, how tight your focus is, or how big your focus is, helps you to understand the context of what was going on. What started out just to be a fight between two men became, oh, this is a world war. This is a bigger deal than just one man fighting. So that the more you see, the more significance there is to what is happening. Now, the reason why I mention all that is because the same thing is true when it comes to understanding the Bible and specifically understanding scriptures, scripture verses. The verse we read just a moment ago, 1 Peter 2.24, is a great verse. Think, think about it as, as I read it. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now immediately just looking at just 1 Peter 2.24, my heart is blessed because of who this is talking about and the impact of what is said in 1 Peter 2.24. If I, if I stood up here this evening and said to you, hey, Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could be free from sins. Would that bless your heart? In fact, we are almost trained to do what you just did a moment ago. So that if I wasn't explaining it and I was just in speaking mode, that is, if I wasn't, if I wasn't starting with the focus and context, and I just got up and said, um, let's read 1 Peter 2.24, and then I went into saying, friends, listen to me. I'm telling you, we serve a great God who loved us so much that he sent his son, and his son bearing his own body, our sins, so that we can be freed from them. You would be trained already to say, okay, because the verse is great, and I love it. It, is, it has so much impact at the point of 1 Peter 2.24. You have in 1 Peter 2.24 an action and you have a purpose. The action is that Jesus Christ took our sins on his own body. Okay, now when Peter gives this verse, when Peter says this, he's speaking in part to people who had been familiar with the Old Testament and familiar with uh, the Jewish religion. Um, so he is drawing attention to the difference between Christ and the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, 
you have Jesus Christ pictured through the sacrificial system. All the way back in Genesis 3 and verse number 15, you have, uh, you have uh, sins being dealt with by there being a substitute on behalf of the sinner, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and they found out they were naked, and God, instead of killing Adam and Eve, killed an animal, and from the animal made skins to cover Adam and Eve as, as a picture of the covering of sin. And then God instituted the sacrificial system so that when somebody sinned, they would bring a lamb or some kind of animal, and they would give it to the priest, and instead of that person dying for their sin, the animal would die. But the animal didn't take away sin. The sacrifice of the animal didn't take away sin. All of that was a picture of what was going to come. Okay, but here's, here is the impact of 1 Peter 2.24. Now, stay with me. The impact of 1 Peter 2.24 is this that when it came time for Jesus Christ to die on the cross, 2,000 years ago, when Christ allowed himself, as we looked at this morning, to be nailed to the cross, it was no longer a substitute that took the pain of sin in an animal. It was Christ himself. It was Jesus Christ himself who bore my sin in his own body on the cross. Everything that I was and I deserved was placed on Christ, and Christ became the final sacrifice and the final substitute that allows my sins to be forever taken care of. Past, present, future, done and done, because Christ in his body bear my sins to the cross on my behalf by whose stripes were healed. It's a great verse. It's a great verse with great impact. It shows an action and it also gives purpose. Look, look at the reason why. Look, look at the end of 1 Peter 2.24. Again, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, here's the purpose, that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So you see purpose in this verse as well. In other words, what the verse is saying is this. Remember, remember, there's no longer an animal, no longer an animal substitute. No longer does God picture the payment of sin being taken care of by an animal being sacrificed. Now, willingly, Christ in his own body has borne our sins on the cross. And then it says, so that, or that, we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. Okay, let me stop and just say this for a second. This is super important, and I want to be careful here to make sure that I'm telling you what is biblically correct, uh, but I have, I have a fear that we can, we can fall off of the Bible one side or the other. Here, here's what I mean. Salvation is bought and paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. There is nothing that we can do to earn salvation. It's not like I can turn over a new leaf and start working hard, and if I work hard enough, then God will receive me. There are no works of my righteousness that I can do. No religious works, 
um, no physical work, no obeying of the law or laws or what I consider to be righteous that will grant me the forgiveness that God must give of my sins so that I can be forever with him. No works of the flesh, that there, there is nothing in my hands that I can bring. It is Christ and Christ alone. Having said that, the purpose for which Jesus Christ bear my sins in his body is so that I might be, that you might be free from sins. Why? So that you can live unto righteousness. So that we then have the freedom to do what is right, to do good. So to say on the other side, hey, salvation by Christ if you live for God, that's good, but it's not necessary, completely misses the point. You cannot separate the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he did it so that we could be freed from sins and live under righteousness. Living under righteousness doesn't gain me what Christ bought on the cross, but accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior is not the end all, it is the entrance in. It gives me entrance into the family of God and into the grace, but that grace is so that I might live unto righteousness. It's so that I would belong to God and live like it. At the end of uh, chapter, I believe it's chapter 2, or maybe in a chapter 3, the Bible talks about our being brought to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, that Jesus Christ is bringing us back to the Father. He's restoring us back to that for which we were originally created, which is to be what we are in the image of God and to live as God would have us to live. So that 1 Peter 2.24 is a power-packed verse. And it's not wrong to focus in on 1 Peter 2.24 and to preach 1 Peter 2.24 and to see that this is all about Jesus Christ bearing my sins in his body on the cross so that I can be free from, righteous, or free from sins and live unto righteousness. But... If you allow the lens of your focus, if you allow yourself to step back from just looking at just that verse and see what the context is that surrounds that verse, it's like a door opens. It's like a light turns on of, oh, this is even a bigger deal than what I just see here. There's more to this. 1 Peter 2.24, power-packed. I love it. But there's more to it than this. And this is what I want us to see in the next several minutes that we have together. So look at 1 Peter 2 again. And this time, let's, let's, start, in, um, let's start in verse number 11, if we can, please. <clears throat> verse 11 says this. Dearly beloved... I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest, that is, having a beautiful life, having a good life among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, time out. Stop real quick and look up here. Now, verse number 11 is kind of where the whole context 
starts for 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 is in the Bible, not all by itself, but it is connected to this string of verses and the logic and the teaching that Peter is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that begins, at least this section of it, begins in verse number 11. It seems fairly obvious that Peter is concerned that the believers, the Christians' lives were not representing accurately that they belong to Jesus Christ, that they belong to God. And he was concerned about it because some of them seemed to be getting in trouble even with the government. Look down, look down at verse number 13. Here he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Verse 17 continues the thought. Stay with me. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if you're buffeted for your faults and take it patiently? But if when you do well you suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Verse 21 then, now stay with me. For even hereunto were you called, because... Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Okay, so Peter was aware of the fact that believers were facing unjust treatment. That is, Christians in this day and time were facing treatment by, uh, by their bosses, by the government, Wives with unsaved husbands, husbands with unsaved wives, next chapter, they were facing, huh, they were facing pressures. They were facing accusations. They were facing tribulation and living for God. And people around them were saying, you're not, you, you guys are the problem. You Christians are the problem. You Christians are the problem. And Peter saw an issue that he wanted to deal with. Okay, would you look up here and let me, let me just um, have a heart-to-heart -heart with you just for a moment. I will tell you that 15 years ago, if I were studying 1 Peter, I would have thought to myself, well, I can preach 1 Peter 2.24, but I'm not really sure if the rest of it has any application for, for us I mean, outside of maybe an extended application. Because facing tribulation because we're Christians, I mean, we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that do. I mean, right now, we have brothers and sisters in, in Muslim nations who if they meet, they meet at their own peril. 
so that they faced tribulation and, every, and the people over there would mistreat them. They'd mistreat them because they're Christians. But in America? Okay, stop. Stay with me just for a second. But in prayerfully considering and just stepping back a moment, I'm not a prophet, neither the son of a prophet. But my brothers and sisters, I will tell you that if things continue to go the direction they're going, it will not be long before those who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and stand on the truth of what he says. It will not be long before our faith will be tested. so that it's appropriate before we get into the situation, which I think is coming a little faster than what I ever expected, for us to know ahead of time what does God want for us. And here is the message of Peter to a group of people who were currently in the situation that I think very soon and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just telling you, you've got to be dead blind. You've got to be dead blind not to see that, that very soon, if you believe men are men and women are women, and that's the way God created them, then there's going to be a problem. And if you believe that it's God alone first, and Jesus Christ, your king, it's going to be a problem. So that when I look at this now, I go, okay, I need to, I, I've got to get this. I've got to understand how, what's expected. Now, here's the attitude. Here's what Peter says to these believers. This grabbed, this was insightful. Peter says to them, in essence, this. Now, you guys listen to me. This is Peter talking, not me. And you guys listen to me. You make sure that if people are pointing at you and saying you're the problem, that it's not because of evil deeds. You make sure, Christians, that the only reason why anybody can have a problem with you is because you are doing good in the name of God. Amen. To the degree where Peter says, if you have a master, a boss, if you have a governor, if you have a king, president, who says to you to do things that you know as a Christian you're free from, that is... You belong to God. This world isn't our home. I'm an American by nationality, but I have a higher allegiance to God than I will ever have to the United States of America. I would gladly give my life to fight for the freedoms of this land, but it, does, it pales in comparison to what I owe to God. 
And sometimes Peter seemed to think that some people might say, some Christians might say, I'm free. I don't belong to this world. I can think. I don't belong to this world. I can see what's going on in society around me. I belong to God. I, I get what's happening. I don't have to, I don't have to listen to what, to what they're saying for me to do. I belong to God. I am free. And Peter says, don't you use your freedom in Christ as a cloak for maliciousness. Don't you use what you are, what you have in Jesus Christ as an opportunity for you to live the way you want and to stick up your nose at those who are in authority over you or the people that are around you. In other words, what he says, and he says it several times, you make sure that you live your life so that when people see your life, they will do nothing but be able to praise God because you're doing what's right. You're doing good. I'm a little bit um, nervous about our Christians' responses to authority over us because it almost seems like it is we Christians who in the face of what we might consider ignorant decisions on the part of a governor or a president where we as Christians go, seriously? No way. Okay, and let me tell you something. This is the truth. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not throwing out compliments to you. This has nothing to do with us. But if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to understand things that nobody else understands. I don't mean that you have divine wisdom. It's just that when you understand the way the world works and the fact that sin is the problem, not education, and that um, God is in control of everything, then yes, it allows us to live differently with our eyes open to what's going around. Okay, I, I can see things that I go, a child should be able to see this, and yet, forgive me, People in Washington, D.C. can't see this? How is that possible that they're... Mi okay, all right, all right. Okay, so yeah, because I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and because I believe God is in control and I, and I understand from the scriptures about sin and, and judgment and things like that, yeah, I, I can look and go, yeah, I, I can see all of this. Okay, but listen to me. That is not my knowledge. My knowledge is not to be what determines what I do. It is a matter of love for other people that makes me say to a boss who says things that I don't like or to a governor or to a president or to anybody in authority, hey, though I am free and I belong to God, I will, because of conscience to, the, to God and because of the Lord, I will submit myself to the ordinance. I will honor the king. Why? Because I want to be like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had no guile. He was treated wrongfully for no reason. 
And yet he was willing to endure the death of the cross so that he might bring us to God so that my actions in life, my attitude towards authority, my response to what I might consider an ignorant decision ought to be, I want to make sure that nobody can point at me and say, they're the problem. Unless they're willing to point at me and say, they're the problem based upon the fact that I am living in accordance to the scriptures, but with a sweet spirit to the authority that is over me. So here's the deal, friends. Don't live your life with a chip on your shoulder about what you consider to be, um, I don't think this is a bad word, idiotic or ignorant, or S-T-U-P-I-D. <laughs> Don't live your life with a chip on your shoulder and an attitude with authority, the authority that's, that is here on earth. We belong to God. We're free. Yes, that's true. But with a conscience towards God, and because of Jesus Christ, Peter says to these believers who were in the midst of troubled lives, hey, you be just like Jesus Christ, who was willing to bear in his own body your sins on the cross so that you could live to righteousness you live your life so that when other people look at you, it says, I think, in verse 13 or 14, that they will give praise to God in the day of visitation. I believe that to mean that when God reveals himself to them because of our lives, we will not be a hindrance to their coming to Jesus Christ. It is true that my life alone, that is, lifestyle evangelism, my, my life alone isn't enough just to, to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. They need to know about Christ. They need to be told about who he is, what he's done. But it is also true that my life can hinder them from coming to Christ. And even in a situation like these people found themselves in. Where they're being treated, in some cases, wrongfully. In fact, next chapter says, hey, wives, if you have a husband who doesn't belong to Christ, let me tell you what you do. You live in submission to him so that your life will help to win him to the word because of what you do. And husbands, if you have a wife that's not saved, dwell with her according to knowledge. Un understand what's going on. And don't let your life be the hindrance, the block. Even if it means, and this is the point,
even if it means suffering wrongfully. Even if it means living under guidelines that you don't agree with. Even if it means I have to pay more than what I'd like to pay. I don't want any of that to be the hindrance of why someone could not come to Jesus Christ. Well, what about my rights? Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the cross, on the tree. So when you zoom in on 1 Peter 2, 24, it's powerful. The work of Christ, the purpose. When you zoom out, you realize that Jesus Christ is given as an example of how to live when you are wrongfully mistreated. All about bringing people to God so that he was willing to go to the death of the cross. Friends, we've not yet resisted to blood. But may our lives be an avenue through which people can glorify God. And then let me say this, and, and our time is done. If you focus out a little bit further and see 1 Peter 2.24 in the context of the entire book of Peter and in the storyline of the scripture, here's, here's what 1 Peter 2.24 and the verses surrounding it are saying. It's this. Listen. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus Christ is sufficient. Live your life from the platform of the gospel. Here, here's, here's what I mean. Rather, here's what the Bible says and here's what it means. The gospel, the work of Christ on the cross, not only acts as an example for me to look at and go, that's what I need to be. I need to be willing to suffer wrongfully so that people can come to God. It not only does that, it also is the provision of power so that you can do it. It is the gospel, it is the work of Christ it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that enables and empowers believers to do that. In fact, that's what 1 Peter 2.24 is saying. This is the reason Christ did all of this so that you can be free from sins and live to righteousness. And in context, call other people to the same righteousness. It's not something that we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and convince ourselves that that's what we're supposed to do. This is something where we come to Christ and say, I can't but you can, you did it, would you please work in me? And Christ in us, the hope of glory, allows us to be what we could not be, what we would not be on our own. So you live life from the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is what not only informs and illustrates what I'm supposed to do, but it is what empowers me to do what it is that I'm supposed to do. So that while I may not like it, when somebody hands down something on me or somebody points to me or I suffer wrongfully, I may not like it, but in the moment where my temptation is to put up the dukes, I can remember the example of Jesus Christ and I can call on Christ to enable me to have the same heart, the same attitude, the same life that he had. And you can too. And may God help us to live in light of the truth of the gospel 
Ah, especially when it comes to living in a world that's increasingly against everything that we are. May our lives not be the hindrance to someone coming to Christ, but may our lives be good examples of who Christ is, even if it means I suffer wrongfully. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, please impress on our hearts tonight the importance of having this as our mindset as we go forward. Father, we have enjoyed and we do enjoy the freedoms that we have in this nation. We thank you. In the same breath, I do ask you, please, to be with our brothers and sisters who are in other nations right now, um, meeting but with fear perhaps looming at the out outside of their minds because they, they could be killed for meeting together in the name of Jesus Christ. Please be with them. Give them grace and help. And then, Father, for us, as we begin down this road in our nation, where it sure seems like very soon we may have the opportunity to suffer wrongfully, already we endure um, light affliction in the sense that we're told to do things that, that we don't think make sense or or freedoms we feel that are given by you are beginning to be chipped away and we no longer have the voice that we used to have. And if we say anything against what other people do in society, then, then, then there is a massive oppression that comes against it. So we sense some of this and we feel that it may grow stronger. We're fairly convinced of that. Help us, dear Lord. Lord Jesus, Help us to have your heart. Help us to follow your example. Even if it means that we suffer wrongfully, to live our lives in accordance to the scripture, doing good and only good, so that others may be willing and ready and not hindered from coming to you in faith, and knowing their sins are forgiven, and knowing right relationship with the Father. Help us, please, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, the service tonight was, was different than what we would normally have in a revival week, but I believe it's what the Lord had for us to look at tonight. I don't know all the reasons other than I know it's better to get a head start on knowing the right way of thinking before we get into the situation. And it may be that there are some here tonight who in your hearts you do struggle with the governor or the king as supreme or some of the um, ignorance that seems like it's coming down. And the reminder is there's something more important than that. And so I wonder tonight if there are any who would say by an uplifted hand, Brother Tim, as we've looked at 1 Peter 2.24, I'm blessed by the fact that Christ bare our sins in his body. I realize that he did it so that I could be free from sins and live unto righteousness. And tonight it's my desire, my heart is to not be a hindrance to others coming to God, that people wouldn't be able to point at my life and say, uh, he's a rebel, uh, he's the problem, uh, he's the one who stands 
who, who, who is causing problems. But I see the importance of just doing right, doing good in my family and in society, of just doing right so that other people could be brought to the Father. And you'd say by an uplifted hand, God, God dealt in my heart about this tonight. Anybody like that tonight, may I pray with you about it? All right, God bless you. Good. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for the Lord working in your hearts. Wonderful. Let's, let's do this tonight. Just with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to pray for those that have raised their hands. And when I'm done praying, Brittany's just going to play through a song on the piano. When she begins to play in a moment, if you're physically able, I'd like to invite you just to turn and kneel where you are. Now, if you can't, just bow your heart and head where you are and talk to the Lord. And just take a moment to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to give to you that which he said he will. That is, his enabling, his grace, so that you can live with his heart and his attitude. And then maybe take a moment to consider any area of your life where this would be appropriate, where this would be applicable. But don't leave without taking a moment to do business with the Lord. Father, please hear the prayers of your children as they come before you now. Hear and answer speedily, O God. In Christ's name I ask.